Old Man Winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, Old Man Winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1,500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. Welcome back to the MLB.com StatCast podcast. I'm your host, Mike Petriello. Joining me here, Matt Myers, MLB.com national editor. Matt, hello. It's a very exciting day. Are you excited? I am excited. I'm can excited. You, can you tell the public why they should be excited? I'm excited because we have some very cool things that we've been teasing for months, really, and uh, we're going to get to introduce them. By the time you have heard this, uh, myself and one of my coworkers, Greg Kane, will have given, hopefully, a very exciting uh, presentation at the Sloan Conference in Boston at MIT, and we're going to be introducing some of the really cool things we've been talking about, like catch rate and hit probability, which we've been talking about forever, and now it's going to be out there. And it's cool because we've actually got on this show right now, not only are we going to explain how it works, but we've got hard data uh, and some really interesting numbers on some of these guys, and you're going to be able to access some of this stuff uh, as the spring goes on by opening day. It'll all be up there on, on BaseballSavant.com. This is cool. It's very cool. And also, just for, for, for those who aren't familiar with Greg Kane, because he's more of a behind-the-scenes guy, he's one of the engineers who oversees uh, right. StatCast. So that's why he's presenting at Sloan <laughs> it with Mike. Turns out there's a, there's a lot of extremely talented people who make all this stuff happen, and then I just get to look at the numbers and say uh, hopefully intelligent things about them. And uh, if, if you like what you hear, the, uh, the next weekend, the weekend of March 10th, uh, Tom Tango and Darren Woolman and myself will also be presenting a lot of this at the Sabre Analytics Conference in Phoenix, Arizona. Uh, so it's going to be a very exciting couple of weeks. Mike is on the analytics panel tour, it seems. I am. Well, I'm also on another panel at Sloan. So if you... Uh, if if you're listening to the show, you've already kind of opted into enjoying hearing me talk about baseball, and there's just so much more of that to come. <laughs> so uh, let's get started. Say we're going to start uh, as we said, we're going to get to catch rate in a minute, but first we want to talk about the expected outcomes of batted balls, and I think this is really cool because I think even for a hundred years, no matter what stats you've been using, it's always been somewhat understood that. If you're preventing a hit, if you're preventing a run, it's not just about the pitcher. You know, the fielder's got to make the play, especially in more recent years as shifting has gone on. The, the coaches kind of get into it with, uh, with outstanding positioning or poor positioning. There's a lot that goes into a hit or not a hit. And we've never really done a great job of giving the appropriate credit uh, to the fielder or, or to the pitcher. I mean, if you look at the two kinds of wins above replacement right now, one is based entirely on the pitcher being responsible for runs. That's that's ERA. And one is based entirely on the pitcher having nothing to do with runs. That's that's FIP. And we know that the right answer is in the middle somewhere. And this is our first step towards getting there. Yeah. And, you know, we've teased this over the last you know year or so in terms of looking at um, expected outcomes and batted ball traits like when we introduced barrels, uh, which was a metric developed by uh, Tom Tango last year, you know, the idea was like, okay, what is like a perfectly hit baseball look like? And a barrel is defined as, you know, it's basically like, you know, it starts at, you know, I think it's what, 98 degrees between 26, 26 and 30. 30 degrees. And as the ball gets hit harder, the, the launch angle window widens with it. And, you know, a typical barrel, I think, is 
what like a 800 batting average and it's an 822 batting average and a nearly 3000 it's like it's like the best thing a hitter can do okay so what what tom tango has done is he's sort of like gone and basically identified all different types of batted balls and put them into various buckets and now basically with that what we can do is take each type of each batted ball launch angle exit velocity um combination and figure out what the expected batting average slugging and weighted on base is for that kind of batted ball but it's not just specific you know he basically you know he put, puts them into like micro groupings right yeah well i mean you can you can start at the lowest level and just put a hit probability on every batted ball you know you can say based on the the launch angle and exit velocity of this batted ball that's a hit 85 percent of the time you know even if it happened to be lined right into the shift you know you still hit it as hard as you could that's pretty good and if you kind of go up into these six barrels we actually when you were on vacation we had tom here going through each and every one of these which is a really interesting show from a couple weeks ago and so what we can do is to kind of take all of those individual batted balls and combine them together and say, okay, overall, who had the best combination of not only missing bats, because we are going to talk about that, that strikeouts are going to be included. This is a like an overall pitching metric here, but not just missing bats, but also who induced the weakest contact. And it's the next step beyond exit velocity because it's, it's also about launch angle, right? You know, Zach Britton's a great example. He's actually not that great at weak exit velocity, but he's really great at the ball on the ground. So all those balls are grounders, the shortstop to third base. That's a really good outcome for him, even though the exit velocity doesn't stand out as being super low. Yeah, and you know, it, it's you might be surprised to see us starting with pitchers here, but in some ways, batted ball outcomes are more interesting as they apply to pitchers because... To hitters, you mean. I mean, to, to pitchers. I'm saying they're more interesting as they apply to pitchers because, like, as an analytical tool for pitchers. Oh, because yes. And this kind of goes back to, and we've talked about this on the show before, you know, when when the whole idea of dips theory was first introduced, the idea was um, pitchers have very little control over batted balls. But we've learned that that's – there's to a certain extent that's true, but what we've learned from StatCast and from, from a more, you know, granular analysis of this, it, it's – there's a lot. There's a lot to the pitcher's ability to, to to limit hard contact. Britain being a good starting point, but some other names also worth discussing. So let's let's set some quick context here. The numbers we're going to use uh, are on the scale of weighted on base average, right? And that's basically like on base percentage, except it accounts for more credit for hitting a home run for getting a triple as opposed to treating one time on base as being equal across the board. So when we say WOBA weighted on base average is what we're talking about. Uh, last year, in reality, the average WOBA across Major League Baseball was 318. So that's that's the number to kind of keep as the average number. Um, so if we looked at 501 pitchers who had at least 100 plate appearances, uh, 100 plate appearances against last year. And so the names at the top, for the most part, aren't super surprising. But what's really fascinating to me is kind of the numbers that go along with them. And also, there is one name that's super surprising to me, which is fantastic. Which do you think of the 501 pitchers who had 100 plate appearances last year? Who had the, the, who had the lowest estimated weighted on base. And now that is strikeouts, but it's also poor contact. Number one in baseball. Well, it can't be Zach Britton because you just said Zach Britton and you sort of said that it, he wasn't as impressive in this as you might have thought. But I'm going to guess another reliever in that realm. Is it because you've got the, the paper right in front of you? It's Kenley Jansen. <laughs> Kenley Jansen, by these numbers, was the most difficult pitcher to hit in baseball last year. And that's combining strikeouts and also weak contact. And I think that's really interesting because I have a separate list that I looked at where it is just quality of contact if batted ball profiles not strikeouts at all and by that ranking zach Britton is like a mile ahead of everybody like the contact he induces is just out of control but while he misses bats he does not miss bats in the same way that kenley jansen does uh britain's actually number three on our list here number two is andrew miller right so where i said the actual weighted on base in baseball last year is 318 kenley jansen's estimated weighted on base 193 
Andrew Miller, 198. Zach Britton, 210. I think that that's a really interesting way to look at it, obviously. We don't really care about earned runs in this this kind of view because this has nothing to do with the defense. It's based entirely on what happens at the point of contact or, or if there's no contact made at all. And I think that's that's really we've been trying to get to this for a long time. And then right after Zach Britton is when we get the, the surprising This name. is great. I'm so excited about this. Zach Britton, estimated Wobo last year of 210, coming in number four with an estimated weight on base of 211. Wait for it. Grant Dayton. Now, most of you are wondering, who in the world is Grant Dayton? And I will tell you that before last July, I would have been there with you. I'd never heard of him. Or maybe I think it was the season before. Anyway, he got traded from the Marlins, who's a nondescript minor leaguer to the Dodgers, for first-round bust Chris Reed, who just retired last week. Grant Dayton came up last year with the Dodgers. He was fantastic. He basically became one of the most their primary setup men. Um, I remember seeing articles about how Steamer just loved the guy this year, and nobody could figure out why. Steamer doesn't have this data. This passes the smell test to me. Grant Dayton is the if you're looking for a name you don't know, he's not going to get saves because you know Kenley Jansen exists. He is a guy to really look out for. I think this is fantastic that this allows us, much like Seth Lugo and spin rate, to kind of shine a light on a guy you wouldn't think about. Yeah, and then the next guy in this list is 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 interesting. Um, two twenty two, Sean Kelly, and interesting to me simply because all the talk. I mean, granted, the Nats did just sign Joe Blanton today, uh, as just before we recorded this, but. Um, you know, a lot of talk about the Nats this offseason. Everyone assumed that they would go out and try to make a big play for one of the, the top-end free agent relievers, but they didn't do that. And some of that is because I think that they have a high degree of faith in Sean Kelly, and the, the numbers certainly bear that out. Yeah, I think the only reason they don't want to rely on him more is he's a two-time Tommy John guy, or a two-time elbow surgery guy. I don't remember if they're both Tommy Johns. Um, but what's interesting, so right after him, okay, Raldis Chapman, 224, not surprising. Also 224, Clayton Kershaw. So the way you can look at that is Clayton Kershaw is basically a Raldis Chapman, except he does it for seven or eight innings at a time. I mean, Clayton Kershaw, underrated? Possible? Hey, I made this point a couple weeks I ago. Know. I know you did. Well, that's right, you did. And, you know, I wish I had these numbers at the time. So we were just looking at the top names on the list, unsurprisingly, until you get to Kershaw, all relievers. So what if we just looked at starting pitchers? Which starting pitchers last year had the lowest expected, uh, or excuse me, estimated weighted on base? Clayton Kershaw, 224, unsurprisingly. Now, number two, with a tie, no Syndergaard and Rich Hill. I don't know that the names are super surprising. It's the gap that is. So Clayton Kershaw at 224, Syndergaard and Hill at 262. We're talking about a 40-point gap between Kershaw and these other guys, and you can really tell, yeah, Kershaw misses bats. You just do not square him up. If you happen to hit the ball against him, it's not going to go anywhere. I mean, that, that is Clayton Kershaw's brilliance right there. I think that's fantastic. It is. It's uh, He's pretty good at baseball. He's pretty good. So, uh, Syndergaard's not surprising. Rich Hill, uh, you know, obviously his, his story has been well documented by this point. His issue is health. Uh, when he's on the mound, he's fantastic. Uh, and then the next guy is tied for number three at 264. Max Scherzer. Makes sense. Hugh Darvish. Makes sense. Kyle Hendricks. Now, remember what we're talking about here. This has nothing to do with defense whatsoever. This is based entirely on strikeouts and about batted ball contact. And if you remember last year's huge story with the Cubs, it was, well, Kyle Hendricks is kind of soft-tossing ready. Was he effective because the Cubs' defense was outstanding, and certainly that helped, or because he was doing something right? And, and I remember looking at this last year. If you look at his three seasons in the big leagues, his fielding independent pitching each year has been almost identical, 332, 336, 320. So that's the three true outcomes, strikeouts, walks, uh, home runs. It does not account for battle ball contact. But look at his ERA, 246, 395, 213. That's a yo-yo. That's all over the place. And sure, the Cubs defense last year was great. But if you're looking for some proof that Kyle Hendricks isn't just a guy who benefited from his defense, this is the proof right here. We have him as a top five starting pitcher. Yeah, for sure. And it, put, it, it definitely justifies uh, uh, the hype around him last year. And certainly it's, as a fan, there's something sort of, 
to me it, it's um it's kind of refreshing sometimes when these things match up like that because it's like you feel like you're not crazy you feel like it does seem like it does seem like he induces a lot of weak contact as it turns out he does yeah and then also completely unrelated he's fortunate enough to have that weak contact going to addison russell and jason hayward and chris bryan and these guys who can actually catch the ball uh, so that's really cool you know if you look at the cubs last year all five starters finished with cub with uh, bat- batting average on balls and play marks that were bottom 20 right which were extremely low now a lot of that's because of the defense we're saying kyle hendricks not necessarily because of the defense and I think we had some of the guys on his team who maybe stood out as being helped a little more by the defense. Wouldn't you say we have a list here of uh, starting pitching overperformers? Yeah, basically these are the guys who essentially had an estimated weight on base percentage that was much higher than their actual weight on base percentage against. Uh, and number two and three on that list, John Lackey and Jake Arrieta. Granted, Arrieta still was like two two ninety four. Yeah, two ninety four, where the well, average was three eighteen. Yeah, so it's still <laughs> still very good, but it was right. still he still was getting he was still like eighteen points higher than it than what his actual you know weight on base against was. Well, I, I like that because it shows that you can you could say that the defense helped all of the pitchers, but also Hendricks separately did something great. So here's another list we have here. Uh, we've talked about the six kinds of batted ball contact, right? We talked about the three really good ones, uh, barrels, solid contact, and flares and burners, and the three really poor ones, which are, are topped, you know, ground balls, pop-ups, essentially, and just poor contact. So if you combine the three of those weak contacts into one, you know, weak percentage, essentially, here are the leaders last year of the pitchers who, who faced at least 500 guys. The leaders in weak percentage, and this is a really interesting list, Kyle Hendricks, number one, 71% of the time, he, he had one of the three weak categories. CC Sabathia tied with him for number one. And that's cool. And you're wondering why isn't Sabathia as successful? Well, part of it's because he just stopped striking hitters out. So it's not all about that. But I think that's it's an interesting way to see. Well, CC Sabathia was doing something right. He's not the guy he once was, but he's still trying to make it work. And he does have enough of a feel for, feel for pitching that you could, you know, I could see a, a late career renaissance. I'll never be the, 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 the ace he once was, but I, I have faith in him being an effective pitcher again. The, uh, the other guys on this list tied for third with the, the highest weak percentage of 69%. Uh, Clayton Kershaw, not surprisingly. Carlos Martinez, the nice, uh, you know, burgeoning ace in St. Louis. And the knuckleballer, Stephen Wright. I think that's awesome. Because it, you think about a knuckleballer getting hit all over the park, not for, not for him. No, and that was sort of, that was one of the original, the knuckleballers were considered the original uh, exception to dips. It was like, that's well, right. the, it doesn't work for, for knuckleballers, but, you know. As it turns out, they uh, also they do induce weak conduct. So I had just uh, that list I had. There was a minimum of 500 plate appearances because I wanted starters. So if you drop that to 100 plate appearances, uh, if you want to look at the leaders in quote unquote weak percentage among relievers, Zach Burton at 80 percent. And so so listen to this. We have one of these categories that we call it a weak topped. So like hit into the ground basically. 72 percent of the time he had that, that of his batted balls were in that category. The second place there, 57 percent. That is what Zach Britton does. He just induces weak contact right into the ground. And, uh, you know, he was tied with, and I'm, I'm sorry to say this, Alex Reyes, <laughs> who just blew out his arm, who we're not going to get to see all year. It was a, a tied for uh, the with Britton for the leader in weak percentage last year at 80%. The, the fun fact about Britton that I learned today that I share with Mike is that um, of the 31 fly balls he allowed last year, three of them were to Mookie Betts, which I think is – and he faced him three times. Yeah. So Mookie Betts, next time you see Mookie Betts face Zach Britton – See if he manages to the ball in the air. Well, I do remember Mookie Betts just destroying the Orioles in Camden Yards endlessly because we had like three of those games in MLB+. Plus, That's true. And it just happened nonstop. Um, so I think you can kind of already see where, where you can go with this. I mean, there's endless possibilities to slice and dice this data up. But, you know, even we, we're only just looking at 2016 here. The next step is we should go to 2015 and see who took a step forward, who took a step back, what changes when you look at two seasons of data. Uh, and then it, it's going to be cool because as the season goes on, 
you'll be able to get a lot of this data on Baseball Savant and leaderboards, and you can do your own kind of analysis, which is cool because we've had some listeners do some really cool stuff with like barrels and, and some of the stuff we've given. For sure. You know, we talked a little bit about some of the um, starting pitcher overperformers. I'd like to take a second to look at some of the quote unquote underperformers. Um, the, the biggest among starting pitchers, the biggest underperformer uh, last year was actually Colin McHugh, who uh, had an estimated weight on base allowed of 293, which was actually. 50 points lower than what he actually allowed. Yeah, well, so that's that's a good point. You could you, you probably want to say he got really unlucky. And maybe he did, right? But it's there's a lot of other factors that could go into like why wasn't the performance what you'd expect it to be? Now it could just be uh, you know a uh, ballpark. Obviously, Houston plays a part in that. It could be the the opponents he was facing that day. It could be the fielders he had behind him. Obviously, it could just it could be luck also. It could yeah. be bad positioning by his coaches. There's a lot of like real life things that make hits and runs happen. But if you just look at what Colin McHugh did on the mound, as you said, he was a lot better than I think his ERA would make it have. Yeah, he's, I mean, you look at that. It's you know, it certainly has instant uh, fantasy possibilities. It's sort of the next the next wave of batting average on balls in play. Looking at guys who maybe were better than their their surface numbers would indicate. Now I'm going to let you in on a Statcast secret. Uh, if you've been if you were to sit in our little desk area all day, Matt has been dying to talk about Luis Perdomo, who is a a San Diego pitcher. I'm guessing. I, I think it was was he a Rule Five guy? I can't even remember. Well, I've, I, he's come up a couple of times the last couple of weeks because. You know, when we were talking we're talking about Stroman uh, two shows ago. He showed up when I was looking at um, uh, two seam guys because he has the lowest among starting pitchers, the lowest two seam spin rate. And for two seam fastballs, the low spin rate can be very good because it means essentially means you're getting a very good sink on the pitch and inducing a lot of ground balls. And he also has a really high percentage of batted balls that are topped. I think he was like 50% last year, uh, which was highest among starting pitchers. So he's a really interesting guy. I love sinker ball pitchers. The Padres aren't that interesting, but they're actually kind of interesting because they've got Christian Bencourt, the guy who's going to pitch and catch and play the outfield, and they've got Luis Perdomo, who might be the new uh, Brandon Webb. You heard it here first. The Padres are going to be <laughs> extremely interesting this year. Uh, before we move on, I do have to get to some relief pitcher overperformance. Now, I've kind of mistitled this because I, I, it's not really all relievers. It's just guys who didn't have the uh, the, the minimum playing times to get to the starting pitchers. Uh, so the top three overperformers, quote-unquote, okay, A.J. Shugo, I think was with the Pirates last year. He's not that notable a name, but I'm actually crushed about the next two names. I really am. The next two guys who did a lot better than their underlying skills would have said, Seth Lugo and Carl Edwards. And if you've been listening to the show, you know exactly how I feel about both Seth Lugo and Carl Edwards. And I think for Seth Lugo, you know, we, we joke a lot about the spinner and everything. Probably not super surprising, right? I mean, he had, I think, like a 260 area last year. His underlying, the peripherals didn't really support that. You know, this kind of goes to show that. Yeah, but it's, it's, we'll, we'll see, we'll see what happens with, with, uh, with Lugo this year. It's interesting because, like, you know, because of the curveball, Despite the fact all the hype we gave him, he actually didn't throw it that much. No, he said he, he said he didn't even feel that good about it last year, and I about fell over when I saw that. So I'm hoping he throws it more often. Uh, and then Carl Edwards, we've talked about a lot because I'm a huge Carl Edwards fan. Uh, his is a little different because, you know, he started out at such a low level. Like last year, he was basically as good out of the bullpen as you know Noah Syndergaard. I mean, that's how effective he was, even though nobody noticed. So even though you know he maybe didn't quote unquote deserve that that's still not going to make him a bad pitcher. You know, just going to make him a good pitcher instead of an unbelievable pitcher like what we saw. We'll see. Year. I mean, it's also, it's just, I mean, it's, 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 this isn't, this isn't necessarily your fate, but it's, 
a good indicator of what your actual true talent is. Yeah, so I think that's cool. Um, so we talked a lot about pitchers. We're going to move on to hitters in just a second. But first, a promo for one of our other podcasts here at MLB.com, the MLB Pipeline podcast. Uh, it's really cool. Jim Callis, Jonathan Mayo, and Tim McMaster, they will go in, into the latest in prospects. And everybody loves prospects, especially this time of year. It's spring training. You can see all these guys uh, you know, actually getting the spring training games, which is super fantastic. Most recently, uh, they looked at that organizations that didn't quite make the top 10, but were just on the verge of getting there, like the the organizations with the talent that's going to make the next step, which is really cool. Uh, so search MLB Pipeline Podcast at iTunes or anywhere you get your podcasts from and get a lot of the best prospect data. Yeah, by the time, and, and as we record this, Pipeline is in the midst of unveiling its top 10 farm systems uh, on uh, on MLB.com. And they did 9 and 10 today. They're going to do the 8 through 1 the rest of the week. And so by the time uh, you guys hear this, you will be able to go and look and see who the number one farm system is baseball is. That's extremely exciting. All right, so we talked about pitchers, and you know you can do the, exactly the same thing for hitters. What quote unquote should have happened based on the exit velocity and the launch angle at the moment of impact? And so this one's a little different because I think the names at the top are, are very expected, but there's some interesting things about them. Uh, I looked at 837 hitters who got to the plate at least 100 times last year. Unsurprisingly, number one, Miguel Cabrera. All right, so you know, we said the average uh, Wobo last year was 318. Well, his was 459. Now, he didn't actually get to 459. We'll get into that in a second. But number two, David Ortiz. Okay, 437. Uh, Mike Trout. Okay, 417. This one, I, I, mean, I can already see you rolling your eyes about this next one. Uh, Anthony Wrecker. I only got to the plate 112 times. I, maybe if I'd set my plate appearance minimum higher. But you know what? He did hit have 394 on base of 433 slugging. Uh, and then Joey Votto after that. Josh Donaldson. After that, there's not there's not a lot of uh, of unexpected names here. I think the takeaway is that batters do a little more control over this than pitchers do, which is because the batter, you know, he is the guy hitting the ball, where the pitcher has to rely on the ballpark and the defense and all the stuff behind him. Well, I mean, the, the interesting thing about this is Miggy, similar to Kershaw, is the gap between right. him and number two. Miggy, four fifty nine, Ortiz, four thirty seven. So like I mean there's even there's just like and he's on another another level from everyone else. W- so with Ortiz retired now, Trout was third place, four seventeen. So there's a forty two point gap between Miguel Cabrera and Mike Trout. And I think that you know is Miguel Cabrera underrated? You said this earlier. Maybe. <laughs> well, it, it's, it turns out I think that you know his home park and you you wrote about this in the off season. I think Comerica Park is much more of a at least certainly a home run suppressant than people might realize. And because they've had this, these great offensive teams that have sort of been able to, to mask that, you know, like Miguel Cabrera's been able to hit for, he won the triple crown, you know, Ledley and homers, you know, Victor Martinez hitting 30 plus homers, JD Martinez hitting 30 plus, 30 plus homers. People sort of forget that it's, it's a, really, really like, it's a bigger issue than people think. So I looked this up the most 400 foot outs last year. So if you hit the ball, at least 400 feet, uh, the MLB batting average last year was 941, which makes sense. Most, they're almost always home runs. He had seven of those outs last year, and they were, that was the most in baseball. Justin Upton, his teammate, uh, had four, and then Carlos Gonzalez had five, and that makes sense because Colorado's huge. But that dead center in Detroit, you cannot hit the ball out of there. It's it's not quite the polo grounds, but you know it's kind of the next best thing. And so that's sort of the point here is forget what actually, quote-unquote, happened. We want to know what should have happened based on the way he hit it. If Miguel Cabrera is not playing there, he's playing somewhere else. He's already but, a Hall of Famer. What's he going to look like? Basically, I mean, it's, it's like in almost any other park, he has seven more. If he plays in like almost any other park, he has like five or six more home runs. Yeah, I mean, and and it's like you said, we're not starting from a low floor here. He's already elite. He's going to be one of the ten best players, I think, best hitters we've ever seen. Um, so that's cool. So that's a good way to say Miguel Cabrera is fantastic and is maybe even better than you think he is. Now, I was interested when I looked at this from the other direction. 
Mookie Betts did not rank very highly here. And I, I was a little surprised by that. Uh, a 336 estimated weighted on base. That's 124th. That's really low for a guy who is legitimately a superstar in baseball. Obviously, a lot of that's defense. And we're just talking about hitting here. Uh, were you surprised by that as well? Yes. Um, but, it's you know, it's definitely – it seems to me that Fenway Park is probably a factor. Yes. Um, any right-handed hitter can sort of – you know, and, and you, you don't want to penalize him too much because every – hitter if they're smart will kind of if there's a way that they can exploit their home park they should and if you're a right-handed hitter who can pull the ball you sh- and you play for the red right. Sox, you should try and exploit that well i mean as you looked up he had he had 12 doubles on the road last year and 30 at home <laughs> you know so i think that says something also let's be clear we are not accounting for speed here obviously he's a guy who turns you know some singles and doubles that's slugging percentage he beats out some base hits miguel cabrera does not do either of those things we're not accounting for that here it's just based on batted ball contact the batted ball profile so i think that that hurts him a little bit too oh no question but yeah he, he was just really interesting to me to see him that far down because you know you, you think of him as almost becoming a bit of a slugger and maybe Maybe this, maybe it's not quite that way. Yeah, no. And then that he, what's um, when you speak, you know, another name that, that jumped out to me because I think he's sort of comparable to Betts is Jose Altuve, sort of a small guy who hits for power and has speed. But Altuve's batted ball profile is in line with superstar sluggers. His uh, estimated uh, weight on base was three eighty four which is a point higher than Chris Bryant. That's the best thing I think I've heard all day. That's fantastic. I, mean, <laughs> I didn't even know that until I just saw this right now. <laughs> I mean, Jose Altuve is like – when I when I saw that, it because it, I, I assumed Altuve was going to fall into kind of like the bets bucket, not to mention the fact he plays in a ballpark similar with a short left field line that he can kind of take advantage of and add doubles and homers that way, but that was not the case. Altuve, better ball profile was basically identical to Chris Bryant's last year. That's – I, I'm on I'm its podcast. I can't be speechless, but I'm kind of speechless at that. Uh, you also identified Brian Dozier, which I, I think he's a guy we talked about a lot this offseason as being a potential trade candidate. Never happened. He's still with Minnesota. Uh, but Brian Dozier is also a guy who's extremely well known for pulling the ball down the line constantly. And it seems like he makes the most out of his distance. I don't think those balls would go out to dead center, but they do leave the park down the line. Yeah. After amongst uh, everyday players, he was um, tied with bets for the second biggest gap between negative gap between his actual weight on base and estimated it was 48 points less Didi Gregorius the highest gap 50 points so make of that what you will but it was interesting there was Betts and Dozier two and three two of like the really good and I don't mean to sort of rain on their parade because I think they're excellent players who clearly have figured out a way of hitting that works for them but it definitely you know I look at Brian Dozier and I see that he doesn't have the speed element to fall back on that uh Betts does he's not he's he's a I wouldn't say one-dimensional player, but he's a far less dynamic player than Betts. Sure, and I also I found it interesting, as you said, a couple of Rockies show up high in the list. I'm still not sure we have a full handle on what Coors Field does to hitters, but you're kind of not surprised to see some of these guys being outliers, right? When you, when you say high in the list, referring to like the list of guys who had negative gaps between right. their 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 actual they and got, estimated. They got more production than would have been expected based on this. Yeah, Arenado and Blackman were really high. They did uh, 43 points um, of difference between their estimated and their their actual, but what was interesting. They were both at um, three. Uh, Blackman's estimated weight on base three three fifty five. Arenado three fifty one. What I found interesting, DJ LeMahieu three ninety one. So DJ LeMahieu, his performance looked the most quote unquote real of any of them based on uh, batted ball. Well, and that's interesting. He's not a, a slugger in the same way those guys are. But I remember last year he kept showing it pretty highly on on balls hit over hundred miles an hour. Uh, that's really valuable. He turned himself into quite the player last year. So, you know, we've talked about, uh, you know, hitting for uh, for power and for angle, and I think that's really cool. And you can kind of see the applications of this. Uh, you can see it uh, in a leaderboard soon and, and by a play-by-play basis. But we can also do it on the other side of the ball. And I think from day one, everybody wanted to talk about 
catch uh, defense, right? And we're, we're kind of converting that into catch right now. And if you think about it, we're not quite to the infield yet, but we're, we're focusing on the outfield. And any kind of batted ball that goes to the outfield, you can put a, a catch rate on it. And what I mean by that is it's not really about exit velocity and launch angle from the fielder's point of view. All it is is how far do I have to go to catch that ball and how much time do I have to do it? And there's, you know, we're going to be improving that. We're going to add some uh, some variety for uh, direction you have to go in for how close you're on the wall. That all matters. We're not there yet. I mean, this is something that um, Tom Tango has been working on. Yes. It's been a, a priority for him since he started with us last summer. Yeah, so I think this is going to be really cool. And, and so if you think about it, every single ball to the outfield, you can put a number on, you know, 5%, 25%, 90%. I think that's pretty easy context right there because you know if a ball lands for a hit 95% of the time and I caught it, that means I did a pretty good job, or vice versa, maybe I didn't do a good job. So we are uh, we are working on getting the leaderboards for this up as well, and that'll happen over the spring. But we do have some interesting numbers here. If you just look at, we're going to be doing this in, in a star ranking, right? So like one star is the, is the worst, two star, three star, four star, and then five star, like just the best amount of plays. And I think the way the numbers are going to come out is on any given night across baseball, there'll be one to three, maybe five star plays a night, depending on how things go, which I think that sounds about right to me. We <laughs> want it to be something really you know, interesting and cool. So the way this has worked out is, uh, you know, a five-star play is something that gets caught uh, between 0% or 25% of the time. You know, four-star play is about 25 to 50% of the time. Three-star is 50 to 75% of the time and, and down the list. Now, those are somewhat equally spaced bands, but the frequency of batted balls within those bands are absolutely not equal. Because as you can imagine, there are way more easy pop-ups and flies that are one-star plays, two-star plays, than there are uh, plays that are five-star plays. So that's kind of our baseline here. And, you know... When we look at who had the most five-star plays last year, I think the names wouldn't be surprising, but I'm kind of interested in how they got to there. So two guys tied with 10 five-star plays, Adam Eaton and Ender Inciarte. I think that that makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah. Right? That passes the smell test for me. No question. It's 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 interesting because Adam Eaton, as we know, is going to be switching positions this year. He right. Did, he did that that uh, that uh, that damage, so to speak, in right field for the White Sox, but he's going to be playing center field for the Nationals, and it'll be interesting to see how well his skills translate because you know as we've talked about in the past with Andrew McCutcheon you know Andrew McCutcheon was really good at going to his right and or at least that's what cast stack has showed and now if he's in right field he only has to really go to his right right so he's basically a weakness of his is masked and so Adam Eaton I'm just wondering aloud and you know sort of is like maybe he's great at going to his right and if he's not as good going to his left is that going to be exposed playing in center field We'll have to wait and see. And what I, you know, what we have here is just raw plays. So I don't, I don't have in front of me is percentages. And I know Adam Eaton played every day and got a ton of balls hit to him. Uh, Inciarte got hurt, missed some time. So even though they tied, I'm guessing Inciarte actually had a higher percentage of highlight plays made compared to highlight plays uh, that were available to him. Uh, right behind them on the list is Billy Hamilton with nine. He also got hurt and missed like the last month of the season. Uh, Billy Hamilton didn't rank number one in five-star plays, but if you look at the combination of four and five-star plays, first of all, let me say, just visually, his plays are amazing. The best part of my job is that I've been watching Billy Hamilton highlights for like the last month. Uh, it's pretty fantastic. So, you know, you can kind of combine this in any way you want. Who had the the highest, uh, the most four and five-star plays put together? Also known as the plays that were not hits, you know, 50% of the time, right? I and mean, that's yeah. where the second star goes up to. You know, Eaton had 30 of them, Billy Hamilton, 24, Ender Inciarte, 21, and then Leonis Martin and Jake Marisnik tied at 20. And again, these are just raw numbers. We have to get into percentages to really see, you know, who had the most opportunities or not. But I'm just really happy that the names that are popping up here, they kind of make sense. I would be I would be pretty uncertain if, you know, no disrespect, Curtis Granderson showed up as having like, the most highlight plays in baseball. That would make me worry a lot about the data. Um, if you're wondering where Kevin Kiermaier is, he also got hurt. He missed like two months. So his percentages are very high. He actually, the highest overall catch percentage in baseball, uh, 94% of balls hit to him. But uh, in terms of raw numbers, he just didn't play enough to get there. So 
think about the applications of this. Yeah, leaderboards are great and everything, and you can see where this is going to go into a future version of a, of a player value like wins above replacement, but also just like on a nightly basis, you can say, hey, that looked like a great play, was it? Oh, actually, the catch rate was this or, or not this, and you know, you can really put some data or numbers to winning those bar. bar we can games. actually identify what was actually the best catch of the night. Right, and I think, let's be totally honest, we're, sometimes we run into some issues where a play that looks amazing and the data just doesn't support it, and you know, you don't want to be a buzzkill, but then you can also go back and look and say, well, yeah, but he made the dive because he went five feet in the wrong direction and had to catch up, whereas a better outfielder would have just walked over and made an we're, easy catch. We're certainly going to see, see people are sometimes going to be quote unquote penalized at least uh, for making it look too easy. Right. Which is, uh, you know, hey, we're going to live by the data. And we're going to die by the data. So anyway, that is our show for this week. And as I said, by the time you've heard this, hopefully you have heard good things about our presentation at Sloan. And uh, really appreciate you listening. Give us some feedback. We're excited to get this data out there for you. And uh, hopefully everybody gets to do some really cool and interesting things. This is our show. I'm Mike Petriello, Matt Myers. We'll catch you next week. Thank you.